2: Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Leslie Picker and Mike Santoli. We are live from the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and Carl have the morning off Let's give you a look at futures as we get ready to start trading one half hour from now. And as you can see, we are set up for what appears to be a higher open. We've had a lot of that lately. Our roadmap this morning, though, starts not with the markets, but with Ida's aftermath. Flash floods, tornadoes, the storm battering the New York tri-state area, leaving at least eight dead, and the region in a state of emergency.
3: Plus, Apple easing App Store rules, allowing some apps to bypass Apple's payment cut. Shares rallying ahead of the open.
1: And COVID's big box office hit. The blockbuster sequel to Top Gun delayed, adding to the list of the fall's top movie
2: releases being pushed into next year. All right, well, we're still dealing with the remnants of Hurricane uh, Ida, which has been battering the Northeast. Has made uh, everybody's desk, everybody at this desk this morning's commute a little bit... Uh, tenuous, yeah. but we're all here. We're all here. You, I think, perhaps, Leslie, had the most to to, uh, to deal with coming I, from outside the city.
3: I had the lowest margin of error, considering my commute was already the longest, and so it, I think, quadrupled this morning yeah. in order to get here, but it was fascinating. I mean, we woke up about four thirty, went downstairs. Basement flooded, of course. Like I think a lot of people in the tri-state area uh, experienced. That was uh, you
2: took that picture. That was right? about
3: five minutes into my commute, wow. right there, uh, getting onto a, a parkway in Westchester, in the outskirts of New York City, uh, and it was basically a, a river for all intents and purposes. We saw cars abandoned all over the streets. We saw trees down that had totaled cars that were abandoned on the sides of the streets, um, and it was just it was basically mayhem even this morning after the rain stopped and you, you see the horror stories on social media and elsewhere all across the tri-state area it's just it's yeah, remarkable that's the
2: subway of course which is still not really operating uh, at anything close to uh, normal levels in fact none of us could get down here via the subway which we typically use although at least the streets in new york city itself were not too bad um, yeah in manhattan it seems like it- yeah it had but, a few uh, hours to drain out. Yeah, yeah. Towns in New Jersey, a lot of flooding. Newark Airport, Central Park, of course, getting 3.15 inches of rain in an hour last yeah.
3: night. they said it was like a once in 200-year flood, or Did something that a lot along those 500, lines.
1: Five hundred-year well, well, the rainfall total was. Oh, okay.
4: 1
3: yeah. So we get, You're right. We hear that a lot lately. We were just talking about. Oh, yeah, that last hurricane that we experienced or the remnants of that just a few weeks ago. Wow. And or a week or two ago, and you know, here we are dealing with this again it just yeah seems i, don't, like I don't
1: know that you know that it, like markets too it doesn't really conform to the long-term statistical probabilities we have more you know two sigma events so to speak than you're supposed to based on how long we've been around but uh, absolutely let's uh, actually get more detail on this Got at contessa brewer for more on the remnants of ida good morning contessa
0: there's a takeaway from Leslie's story about trying to get into work today. It is that it's going to take a long time if you have to go into the office and you've got mayors and governors of multiple states saying, please stay home if you can. So, for instance, in New York City right now, we still have major disruptions in the subway line. The head of the MTA says... Full service should resume by this afternoon. But right now, uh, much of the MTA is still shut down. Amtrak had suspended service this morning between Philadelphia and Boston. People showed up at the train station and had not been aware that their trains had actually been canceled at that moment. In Philadelphia, there are disruptions and cancellations to SEPTA, New Jersey Transit, that all-important commuter train lines to get into the city. Um, All but one line was suspended this morning because of flooding, because of trees and power lines and things like that. All right, let's show you one of the major ways people get into Manhattan, the FDR. This is a major thoroughfare that runs up and down the whole eastern side of Manhattan. It was flooded, cars abandoned, that then blocked traffic. So what I've heard this morning, and this is not just um, peculiar to New York City or unique to to New York City. This is across the region. There are people who are finding that the way that they normally have to get to work is blocked, or or they're having to change their path somehow. Look at all those cars on the FDR. All right, Newark. Newark saw more than three inches of rain in one hour at the airport. The airport was flooded. Flights were suspended. There has been a partial resumption of flights this morning, so if you're flying in and out of that all-important United hub today, check ahead to make sure that your flight is scheduled. The airport is saying the parking lots are open, but getting to the airport, there may be problems because of streets that are blocked at this moment. The uh, train station in Newark and the surrounding areas, we saw flooded there. Look at the airport. Inside the airport actually flooded. And then... The water rescues have continued this morning. In Mamaroneck, we saw rescuers out in boats. They have just, we have just learned. That as rescuers are going out into neighborhoods, they're finding more bodies. Just have learned four people were found dead in a house in New Jersey. The death toll in New York City, the New York Police Department says, is now eight. Those uh, rescues continue. And guys, one more note, just because the rain has cleared out does not mean that the flooding risk is over because we know that major rivers aren't expected to crest until tomorrow. So, for instance, the Schuylkill River in Philadelphia, that's expected to crest at 10 Feet above flood stage. So they're going to be bright, sunny skies outside, but the flooding threat remains very real, very imminent.
3: Uh, Contessa, you cover insurance, of course, for us, and you cover it so well. Um, how would you characterize kind of this area and its protection against flood insurance? Is this something that, you know, we could expect to see pretty significant damages? in that would be insured or are people most likely going to be left on the hook here?
0: Now remember that a lot of times for for flood insurance, like from a hurricane, um, you would need specialized flood insurance. People who live in low-lying areas uh, where they're required to have flood insurance for their mortgages may have that in place. But, you know, so so we'll have to wait and see how this breaks out and, and what it's characterized as. The wind damage was significant in some places. There have been multiple tornadoes that touched down and trees that have come down. Remember, because the ground was so saturated already, when trees come down, those are covered events from uh, property and casualty insurance. We, need, we know from analysts who cover this uh, industry that they thought Ida was about a $25 billion impact along the Gulf Coast. That was even before it hit the Northeast. Now you look at the widespread damage here. It will be significantly higher. Reinsurance may kick in for a lot of these insurers Uh, in the Gulf Coast. State Farm is the big insurer and AIG and Chubb have far less exposure. Travelers has less exposure in the Gulf Coast. Let's see how that breaks out in the Northeast. And One more note here. You can expect to hear this, you know, Mike points out, two events do not prove climate change. But the insurers themselves are saying their clients and and the brokerage clients have got to pay attention to the risks that come with climate change. Because this is the first major hurricane of this Atlantic season and has done a lot of damage.
3: That's a really good point, Contessa. It kind of throws into whack all of the models that I'm sure they've used historically uh, in order to assess the cost for insurance. Thank you for joining us today and for staying on this important story. Now, we also have some more video from this morning's commute. Uh, just speaking about kind of the lives in danger, we saw a lot of cars that were kind of left abandoned. We saw some very heavy moving water even just this morning. So it's pretty remarkable just the fact that even though the rain has stopped, you know, six, seven, eight hours at this point, just the, the after effects, as Contessa was mentioning, it's going to take hours if not days For that water to truly recede in some of these areas that truly are just not used to experiencing this type of weather, guys.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, you don't, you don't know the. The overall impact, people weren't really coming to work. It wasn't necessarily a regular, quote, regular week. So maybe, uh, you know, people could just sort of extend the weekend. Exactly. We can sort it all out.
3: I hope so. Now, uh, we enter today's session with Apple and Alphabet, each trading at all-time highs. For a look at what's ahead for big tech stocks, we're joined now by D.A. Davidson & Company Managing Director and Senior Research Analyst Tom Forte. Tom, thank you for being here on this day. Now, can you give us just kind of a big-picture sense of – What's going on with big tech right now? What's going on in terms of sentiment uh, and really just the shrugging off of any type of, of risk or negative news that seems to be uh, you know, affecting this sector?
5: Sure. So when I look at it on a company-by-company company basis, I think for Google, investors are warming up to the fact that Google owns the most valuable video asset being YouTube. When you think about the advertising revenue they could generate on YouTube and their relatively favorable margins versus Netflix, Uh, on the cost of scripted content. I think that's what's driving Google, in addition to the fact that they're lapping easy compares when you think about the pressure on digital advertising at the start of the pandemic. And for Apple, I think it's the advantage of a multi-year upgrade cycle for their most important product being the iPhone. I do think, though, that investors are shrugging off the antitrust regulatory risk for both, which I do think is meaningful and something we're following closely.
3: Now, Tom, it seems like investors are also shrugging off this idea that it's allowing uh, some apps to kind of bypass their app store fee. This news out this morning um, that allow some of the apps, including Netflix, to provide links to their websites for user payments, uh, which allows them to kind of get around that 30 percent app store fee that's become a little bit more controversial. Uh, Investors don't seem to be reacting to that, though, this morning. Why not?
5: I agree with you that investors are not looking and reacting to that, Uh, and that's a good question on why. Uh, My thesis is that over time, that 30% commission that Apple collects from the App Store uh, could decline to a lower number, such as 10%. I think maybe the hope from some investors is that if Apple can make this adjustments on its own, it won't require the government to step in and maybe come up with a more onerous solution for Apple. But I do think it's curious that investors are giving the stock a pass. On that important development.
2: Tom, real quick, just to come back to valuation of both these names, where are we? I mean, they're both coming off of incredible quarters, top line and bottom line growth, but where are we on multiples?
5: Yep. So Apple's still trading at a premium multiple to where it has historically, uh, given that it was able to achieve a higher multiple on the higher margin non-hardware revenue. And then Google, I think, is more reasonably uh, on a valuation basis versus historical, because, again, it's spending for It's benefiting from the rebound in digital advertising.
3: All right. Tom Forte, thank you for joining us.
5: My pleasure. Thank you. Keeping
2: keeping an eye on both those stocks, of course, this morning, as well as they uh, uh, hit new uh, potential highs. Coming up, though, Ford is due out with monthly auto sales. That's uh, just a few minutes from now. Plus what Kathy Wood tweeted about autos late last night. Take a look at futures as we get you ready for an opening bell about, uh, let's call it, 17 or so minutes from now. More Squawk on the Street, straight ahead.
6: Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports.
2: Ford is due out uh, very soon with its retail sales figures for August. Phil LeBeau is going to have those numbers for us. Let's get over to him now. Phil. Uh,
6: David, as we wait for these numbers from uh, Ford, uh, we're not expecting anything uh, fantastic, not just because of what we're seeing in terms of the chip shortage uh, impacting demand uh, or in supply, I should say, but also because what you're noticing uh, when you talk with dealers is that there are a number of buyers out there who they would like to buy, but they're not seeing the supply that they're looking for. So as a result, I wouldn't call it a buyer strike, but I think what we're seeing in the market right now is definitely a number of people who are saying, I want to buy, but I'm not just going to buy to buy. I'm going to wait until I can get what I'm looking for. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. We'll get the Ford numbers here um, shortly. We expect them to be negative as they were for uh, all of the automakers yesterday. The industry sales pace, 13.1 million vehicles. For some perspective in terms of how much the market has fallen off over the last four months, the pace of sales in April was 18.5 million. So it's down, you know, what, 25, 30% uh, in terms of a pace of sales in just four months. And again, this is largely because the automakers just do not have the supply of chips to not only meet the current demand, but also restock their inventory.
2: All right, so Ford, uh, the F-150 pickup production is where now, and what are our expectations, again, given we're looking at it right there. Uh, where were they? You know, just give us some perspective here, Phil, where they were and where they are.
6: Well, they're, they're not meeting their, uh, their, uh, what they forecasted originally. I don't have the exact percentage, David, but I can tell you this. Yesterday, the company said that the F-150 plant in Kansas City, which has been shut down the last two weeks, it's going to be shut down next week as well. And then you've got the F-150 plant in Dearborn, Michigan, going down to one shift. So there is clearly a restricted number of these vehicles that are being built. And I know from talking with Ford dealers, they've got people who are saying, I want an F-150, do I have to order it and then wait? And in some cases they do. And when you're ordering and waiting right now, uh, it's going to be a lengthy wait because the backup in terms of the ability to get the chips and to complete these vehicles, it's there, and it's real, and it's going to last for some time.
3: Um, Phil, I have to ask you about this Kathy Wood tweet from last night where she talked about how auto buyers, the the decline in auto sales is really due to this idea that buyers are abandoning gas-powered vehicles in favor of electric. Is that the sense you're getting based on kind of the itemized demand that you're, you're seeing within the market?
6: Right. No, that is not the sense that I'm getting. Here's what I think Kathy Wood was getting at. If you read her tweet carefully, she mentions the chip crisis and she says it is a real impact in terms of what's happening with auto sales. She also says, I wonder what is happening as she believes people are abandoning gasoline-powered vehicles for electric vehicles. But she doesn't doesn't say it immediately, says over a long period of time, it is going to happen. But it's not going to happen immediately. And as far as a percentage of sales guys being up, it's up like 30% for EVs. We're coming off a really low base. So, yes, it looks like a big conversion, but we're just not seeing the numbers that would support her saying people are abandoning uh, ICE vehicles at this point.
2: Uh, Phil, I think we got the numbers from Ford. I don't know if you had a chance to review them, um, but I'm, I'm yep, seeing there them you come go. up here. Um, Down 33%. Yeah, 124,176 units. Um,
6: and remember, David, like. August, is typically, August is typically one of the busiest months of the year for automakers. The sales, if they're not at the top, they're close to the top. Typically, we see a sales pace of 16 to 17 million vehicles. Sometimes it's closer to 17, maybe 17 and a half million vehicles. We're nowhere close to that. And that's why you have what we have right now. There's just no inventory. And as a result, drive around to a dealership sometime. Look at how much empty space there is on the lot right now. That's because there's just not the supply. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, certainly uh,
1: being down 5 million uh, units at an annual rate for North American sales is not accounted for uh, a few hundred thousand going toward Tesla's. uh, Phil, thank you very much. Uh, Coming up, uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. He'll be on Squawk on the Street in the next hour. We'll be right back.
3: Wall Street back to work, although my guess is mostly virtual today following last night's record rainfall and flooding in New York City brought on by the remnants of Hurricane Ida. Let's go to Seema Modi for more.
8: Hi, Seema. Hey, Leslie, good morning. People are slowly returning to work here on Wall Street, but the torrential rain overnight resulting in a travel nightmare for so many. Transportation remaining a key challenge getting to and from work after multiple subway stations across Manhattan were flooded and a number of lines and trains remain suspended are or delayed. So that board meeting you're expected to attend at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, perhaps that gets pushed back to 10.30 a.m. or later. Uh, but this, of course, has raised some fresh concerns around how vulnerable New York's public transportation system is to extreme weather events to what we saw last night. Uh, New York City Transit is expected to be a big beneficiary of the $1 trillion infrastructure bill, which continues to be debated in Washington. MTA, which operates New York subway is expected to receive around 10.7 billion dollars in federal funding. So we'll see if the weather events over the last 24 hours impacts those talks if at all. Speaking of travel, traffic continues to build in and around the city. A number of people telling us on their commute in today that they walked or biked into work. Now you can take Uber or Lyft, but it is getting expensive. I tried to book a car just about an hour ago from outside of the New York Stock Exchange to Midtown West. It's cost around 6 65 to 80 dollars so surge pricing is certainly kicking in that's actually come now down to around 45 dollars but for some individuals we spoke to in the financial community who came into work today they no longer have the luxury of working from home a number of traders we spoke to market makers they actually told us they don't have that infrastructure that they were given from their company uh, let's say this time last year that's no longer available in their home office so they had to come back to work and that's exactly what they're doing today david
2: all right, Seema thank you. Seema Modi, of course, speaking of Wall Street. we got an opening bell uh, less than six minutes away. We're going to talk a lot of stocks. Stay with us.
1: Shares of Chewy down sharply in pre-market trading. The pet products retailer posting a wider-than-expected quarterly loss and missing on revenue. Customer levels disappointing the street in particular. Here's what Chewy's CEO had to say yesterday on Closing Bell about the company's website traffic. You know, Q2,
5: traffic was flat to a little bit down, but traffic to Chewy's website, to our platforms, were actually up 20%. That tells you two things. One, that the consumer inflow to our platform and their buying behaviors are strong. Secondly, it tells you that we're actually picking up share from a market that actually is reeling from kind of the, you know, the post-impact of the highs of the last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, picking up share, probably no doubt, uh, for the rest of the pet uh, uh, supplies industry, but just not quickly enough. You see the stock indicated down 9%. Uh, this stock peaked at 120. So you've lost a 30-year value, and it very much is in that category, I think, of companies that, uh, you know, were in uh, a, a fast-growing part of the, of the economy, in e-commerce, or, you know, you want to talk about Zoom or, or all the rest of it, uh, that got an acceleration effect during the pandemic, also just the huge, you know, pet adoption, everything going on. And now it's about what's the real run rate, you know, prove prove that it wasn't just a, a pull forward and a surge.
3: You're trying really hard not to say tailwind, but I know yes, you really right. wanted to. Yeah. Um, but no, I think what's interesting here is that it kind of is this microcosm of what we're seeing across the board with retail in terms of the higher labor costs that are taking place. That affected their bottom line. Uh, you've also got issues on the supply chain. They specified, you know, wet dog food as being something right. that they were unable to source as effectively. Clearly, those types of issues are not limited to brick and mortar retailers, but also so e-commerce as well,
2: Mike. As we uh, count down to the opening bell here, I mean, keeping an eye on the mega caps as we have all yeah. week. Of course, we talked to Apple and Google at the top of the show with Tom Forte briefly. Uh, uh, you know, Alphabet, I should say, approaching that two trillion dollar market value. Also, noticed Nvidia shares have had a surge of late. Not yeah. quite in that top tier. But it is $560 billion, close. billion dollars in market value. Yeah. And one of the great performers of the last few years, of course, as we know. And a favorite of my colleague, Jim Cramer. That's right. we also know.
1: Yeah, you know, the, beyond the fang, the super growth favorites uh, have been taking the lead. To, you know, Tesla's been acting very well, too. It's mm-hmm. also right in that sub-trillion dollar uh, range. So uh, we have had a perking up of the old Nasdaq trend that peaked about a year ago today, actually, in terms of our performance
2: here at the opening bell here at the NYC. You can take a look at the real-time change. You should see a bit more green on that board as we uh, open up the stocks. Real estate investment company Site Centers did the honors here at the big board. Over at the NASDAQ, residential medical equipment maker, Quipt Home Medical. Uh, and we do have a lot of green on that board. Mike, come back to that theme that you were discussing. I mean, sort of a resurgence of life to the extent, right, Tesla obviously is still up only 4% this year. Yes. But a bit of life, and I did again notice NVIDIA right back towards those highs. Uh, you know, because it had backed off for just a bit, but it seems to be somewhat unrelenting, and it moves higher over time.
1: Netflix was gone vertical in the last few days. Uh, again, sideways, hadn't had any much outperformance. And it seems as if that, you know, we've had this, this little phase where economic data falling a little bit short of estimates, although jobless claims today were pretty good, pretty much on target. Uh, and it sort of kept a lid on this move in treasury yields right around, stuck around one, you know, in the one three area. And it seems like We're back to that muscle memory of we buy the growth stocks when that happens. It's the low and slow environment. Yesterday's rally did kind of wobble over the course of the day. So, you know, we're in this sort of pre-holiday, late summer uh, period where it doesn't seem like there's brand new themes emerging. But you see risk appetites uh, kind of percolating right now because also the small emerging growth in the meme stocks are, uh, are running this week.
3: And you do tend to kind of see this, right? Before non farm payrolls come out yes. due tomorrow. Of course, this is something that's going to be very much uh, one that we pay attention to given its uh, importance with regarding monetary policy these days. But, you know, kind of this wait and see activity thing yeah. tends to really benefit from that because people see that, rightly or wrongly, as a way to kind of play growth without being, you know, too risk centered.
1: Sure. And, you know, the question is, uh, is it kind of a market where you can win two ways in the sense of, look, if the numbers aren't great, then we know that the Fed will look for an excuse to go slower and you can you can hide in the growth stocks. Uh, Although if you go the other direction and people start to think that it's it's game on for the Fed and we're going to have to be uh, getting into taper mode, uh, if the cyclicals are the thing to run. That it doesn't always help the indexes because the indexes are so heavy in the big growth stocks. So that's your trade off. Uh,
2: another uh, market theme or story that we've been following for quite some time, of course, is the continued um, pace of regulation from uh, China uh, over many of its companies, many of which, of course, have listed. Uh, here or certainly raise capital in our markets as well. Um, no let-up so far. You've got more on the uh, ride-hailing companies, although it does not appear to be impacting shares of Didi. And you can see we've had a significant rebound in many of the names you're looking at in the last few sessions. Duo is an exception to that, being down 5% this morning. But DD also not down, despite... Oh, excuse me. Now it just, uh, just reversed course. Uh, when I was looking at it moments ago, it actually had been up. The transport ministry, which is the uh, internet watchdog and other regulators on Wednesday, ordered 11 ride-hailing platforms by year's end to stop what they're calling unfair competition tactics and practices, such as recruiting unlicensed drivers. That was a statement that was published Thursday morning in Beijing. Of course, they're uh, well ahead of us. So uh, yet more coming at the ride-hailing platforms. And as we say many times, many investors who continue to hang on here or have gotten shellacked over a period of, let's call it months now, are just wanting to know when is it going to end? Or what when do I know that there's a baseline of regulation that I can then start to make some decisions about in terms of the economic viability for these companies. So far no end in sight.
3: Yeah, well it's interesting because in speaking with investors and I know you have these conversations daily as well, you kind of get two schools of thought. There's this one camp that people really feel like, given everything that we've seen so far, it's basically uninvestable. And then there's this other school of thought that believes, you know... China's not going to let these companies fail. They're major employers in the country. They're major uh, beacons of pride for a lot of Chinese people as well. And and the consumers use these products. And so kind of squaring those things on a day-to-day basis is really, really difficult. I don't know anyone who has a a, a perfect uh, model that's able to fully encapsulate all of that nuance that's been going on.
2: Not at all. Alibaba, we should mention, by the way, given it. Uh, of course, one of the top companies in China, and certainly the first that we all remember having listed right here at the New York Stock Exchange, and one of the largest listings of all time, uh, did say it's launching ten major actions to promote common prosperity. expects to invest as much as fifteen and a half billion dollars by two thousand twenty-five towards that goal of common prosperity. Yeah, we all share that goal, I guess. <laughs> right. as well, I don't know yeah, what I you're like, planning on investing towards it, though. But you know, I mean, I want you
3: guys to succeed. Just. As much as myself, I appreciate that. You know, common prosperity. So your billions are
2: going to be heading in that direction.
3: Chinese Communist Communist Party behind
2: you you too. You know,
1: there's (laughs) also, uh, you know, at a People's Daily in China, President Xi this morning, among other things, saying uh, that China will set up a stock exchange in Beijing and build it into a major base for innovative small and medium-sized firms. Uh, This is at some trade summit. Uh, So the the economic nationalism. The we want to keep capital here. We want to have more of a direct control over. Uh, where where research and
2: uh, and investment dollars go, very strong theme. Very, you know, and listen, running I mean, through all this. The, the the spate of companies that were coming public here, right at the NYSE and listing on on this exchange and raising capital here was was, was very impressive. Every day, it every, like every more there was or less every Chinese day. education company, yes, or, or some yeah. or another part of their economy, and that has that has stopped. That's yeah. ground to that, a halt. That has stopped. Uh, so uh, she has gotten perhaps what he was. Hoping for in terms of them keeping the capital at home. Um, wanted to move on to a deal that I mentioned uh, earlier this week. There was a journal story, of course, detailing the likelihood that Baxter would acquire Hillrom. What we told you was the price, 156 all cash, and that it would come later in the week. And uh, thankfully, that was the case this morning. Baxter did announce it is acquiring Hillrom. It's a what they call a global metal, medical technology leader. Uh, it's 156 bucks a share in cash. Um, total enterprise value about twelve point four total equity ten and a half bill um, and you know the question now is, as you see you 'll see Hillrom shares are up. they moved up when we told people the price, but they 're up a, a bit again. You may need china approval though' coming back to that that always figures very prominently in the assessment of the the risk for any of these deals once they 're announced, and given the size of their business there, it does seem likely that they will need China approval. Uh, a number of people I speak to, uh, spoke to this morning saying this could take anywhere from as much as 7 to 11 months. There is a chance for a second request uh, on antitrust, uh, although that is not expected to be a problem. But antitrust these days, Leslie, is always an issue for any deal of any size, frankly, given the FTC and Lena Khan certainly and the DOJ as well. Uh, perhaps, you know, we talk a lot about tech, but also in pharma. Oh, yeah. And in this area as well.
3: And Hillrom is, is, you know, a data collector as well. They have kind of this high technology. So you would expect that that would be under additional scrutiny as well as part of this deal. Um, But you bring up a very good point. The regulation has made deal flow much stickier, especially as it pertains to aspects of cross-border as well as antitrust. It seems like this one uh, will certainly be in the crosshairs.
2: We'll see. They're talking early 2022 and again. But these days, uh, those who at least take a look at these things are playing it quite conservatively.
1: Wanted to quickly take a a look. The biggest loser in the S&P to start off is Hormel Foods. The company did have uh, its results. Pretty much matched estimates. But again, another food company that was uh, downgrading its outlook in terms of uh, sales and uh, and margins going forward, trying to rationalize things. Yesterday was Campbell's. Now, the stock bounced because it had really been very weak going into uh, into the print, but there's this real separation going on where specifically the food companies, the traditional food companies, uh, are really having their valuations compressed here relative to things like, you know, personal products like P&G and and, uh, and, and Colgate still kind of trade 22, 24 times earnings. you got Kraft Heinz and, and Campbell's and Hormel. Uh, Hormel's not quite as cheap, but they're just much cheaper. And you know, if you remember back in the in the, in the the kind of uh, pantry loading days of 2020, <laughs> there was this line of these companies saying, you know what? People are rediscovering our, our products. They're kind of reestablishing their affections for our brands. And it's going to carry. And maybe that there's some truth in that. But it seems as if right now is a big hangover effect of a lot of people uh, had great years last year in, these, in this industry, and now they're dealing with the cost side of things and just a slowdown in demand. So, Carmel uh, down uh, something like uh, just under 2% right now.
3: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I stocked up on all those foods, and guess what? They're still They don't fine. go bad. They don't yeah. go bad. So, <laughs> nope, you don't need to keep idea, buying them. Right? Um, you know, speaking of a big mover today, Apple. Uh, really having some pretty strong performance, 1.3%, which for a $2.5 trillion company uh, is significant. We, of course, talked to Tom Forte earlier in the hour about some of the tailwinds that company has been experiencing. And so, you know, despite news that would indicate they could be feeling some margin pressure, uh, investors seem to be shrugging it off and sending the stock upward today. Halo Uh, effect
1: of all these little incremental like new features and you know, driver's licenses in your wallet—it's stuff that doesn't necessarily filter directly through to the numbers, but you know, it creates excited. a little bit of a sense that there's a lot going
2: on there. I mean, yeah. don't yeah. That quarter, and again, eighty-one point four billion in revenues—the last quarter. I mean, I still come back to those numbers. It was a thirty-six percent increase in revenues. What yes. they do? Thirty-nine point six billion in phone, up fifty percent in iPhone sales and obviously made over $21 billion in income. That was last quarter. Didn't get that much of a response, but as Mike is, you see, just last week, it's uh, it's been responding.
1: But you know how it works with Apple, of course, because it's going to be this big launch quarter uh, for the iPhone, and the sales numbers are, are kind of through the roof, and then we're going to quickly dial ahead to, uh-oh, the new fiscal year is starting, and it's going to be tough comparison. So if I look at you know september 2021 uh, fiscal year sales are supposed to be 365 billion dollars uh, for apple 378 next year that's not much yep. growth but Apple's been able to navigate through those periods very, very well with the financial engineering and the fact that they stay profitable and the upgrade
2: cycle and the services. That has to be the story going into next year. Yeah, that's- um, because I want to do a story that's not stock market related, but certainly one that is important in the business community and one we've been following here for quite some time. I'm talking uh, about what is now the official settlement between Oxycontin maker Purdue Pharma uh, and the courts, and obviously, so many of the plaintiffs, the states. Uh, They have reached that, what, roughly $4.5 billion bankruptcy settlement. It will shield the owners uh, or the former owners of Purdue, members of the Sackler family, from uh, lawsuits that would accuse them of contributing to, of course, the nation's opioid epidemic. Uh, That would be in exchange for providing the funds that they are to combat uh, the crisis. This has been a long time in the making. Uh, Perhaps not any one side overly happy with it, but all signing on at this point, and it will provide a lot of funds to uh, deal with what unfortunately is um, a rising epidemic certainly in, in part because of the pandemic it has exacerbated the problems uh, opioid deaths i believe this year uh, are at an all-time high I did speak to uh, steve miller he's the company's uh, chairman who is cobbling this together of course he has a long history in sort of restructuring we had an, uh, uh, an opportunity to to, uh, to talk back in march when this was first announced as a possibility before, long before it got to the finish line. But here's what he had to say about the settlement itself as proposed at the time. This is a milestone in public health history. Never before have you seen this amount of money, $10 billion, being devoted to opioid abatement. And I think when people think about it, they will come around to the notion, well, I might have liked something slightly different, but this is certainly a lot better than going into endless costly litigation that may end up with no proceeds going to anybody. That argument apparently winning the day with many of the states signing on. And, again, the agreement to actually allow the Sacklers to basically avoid further lawsuits.
3: Yeah, and the judge, of course, saying that the $4.5 billion uh, settlement was actually not enough, that he believed it should have been much more. But because the Sackler family had so much parked in offshore accounts, they weren't able to access that and and get a higher number for for victims here. So, uh, as you mentioned, uh, it's certainly not a result that either side seems very happy with. Um, You know, the judge calling it bitter.
2: Right. Purdue will continue in business, and the profits from it will, and or what is produced, will go towards this as well. Um, So it's almost operating as a not-for-profit. Annuity. Yeah. It's quite a story and quite a sad story, of course. So let's get to Bob Asani though, to get the story on this market this morning. Bob. You know, David, the endless bid
9: continues. People are just amazed. But every day there's an endless bid. And this was a very nice open. I know it doesn't seem that way, but three to one advancing to declining stocks with no particular market mover. That's a nice open. And it's broad. I've been telling you there's been some complaints about some of the traders that the breadth of the market is uh, narrowing a little bit. And they don't like that. They like broad rallies. Not today. Uh, Energy stocks up. Industrial's up. Tech up, healthcare, heck—that's most of the market right there. You've got your cyclicals, you've got your growth stocks moving. That's everything. The only thing that hasn't been participating is bank stocks. But frankly, bank stocks have been sideways for a long time now. Is you just can't get. A tremendous amount of loan growth or a tremendous amount of interest rate uh, acceleration from that particular sector. Elsewhere, the earnings are just about over, but I just want to highlight Cignet because this is a very interesting story about Cignet. Nobody quite expected the numbers to be as strong as they are. We know, of course, jewelry bounced back nicely, but not quite as this, uh, this kind of uh, numbers here. So, Signet's up big this morning, about a four year high. Not only did they meet they, not only did they beat, they raised the guidance. Uh, and the comp store sales were just off the start chart, tremendous, up 97%. Uh, Signet, by the way, was $6 at the bottom last year, $6. Now, you do the math on that. The S&P doubled in, since, since the bottom in March 2020. Signet's up, what, 1,200%. Essentially, since then, there's one of the big winners. And here's what's interesting: Look at the earnings situation. You talk about revenge spending. The company had, a, of course, a decent 2019. You see that big drop in 2020 to two dollars 11 cents. Look at this number for 2021: seven dollars and 23 cents. That's an astonishing comeback. That is revenge spending, there, folks. And you notice something interesting: 2022. The estimates are lower. That's because everybody's anticipating that people are going to go out and travel more, dine more, and there's going to be less spending on jewelry. Well, maybe. We don't know. Maybe the, as this extends a little bit further, people will continue to spend. It's an unknown right now. But that number, 723, that's pretty darn impressive, uh, given what the, the situation was uh, for them just about a year ago. Elsewhere, very interesting data from Charles Schwab on their trading in their brokerage accounts within within their retirement accounts. This is a good look at how quasi-active traders are are, uh, are doing here. The average account balance here, at the Schwab counts, up 22%, pretty good in the last year. What's interesting is how active they are. The average trades, they do about 14. That's about one a week. That's not terribly active. It's not inactive, but it isn't day trading. And they only hold uh, 12 positions on average. That's kind of interesting. Elsewhere, uh, they love tech stocks. Obviously, the most popular stocks over in in these accounts at Schwab uh, are Apple and Tesla and Amazon. Uh, But interesting, uh, Neo shows up also as number six. That kind of curious. So there is some interest in some uh, out-of-the-way stocks like electric eels uh, electric vehicle stocks in terms of who's got the most money. Well, there's no surprise. The baby boomers have the most money in their accounts. But wait a minute. These millennials are not exactly poor. Look at this, um, Michael, one hundred and three thousand uh, dollars in the from the millennials in their Schwab accounts. So, yes, that's one fifth of the baby boomers. But considering uh, they're twenty nine to forty. Not bad. So even millennials are doing pretty well in this situation. Mike, back to Yeah, you.
1: not bad. Maybe not as well as uh, prior generations did at that age, but they're, they're catching up. It, uh, it would have seemed an accelerated rate with this market. Bob, thank you. Okay. Still to come, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. It's an interview you will not want to miss. But first, let's take a look at how treasuries are faring this morning as we await Friday's key jobs report for August. See, bond yields are pretty much lower across the board, modestly so. The 10-year note just below 1.3 percent. We'll be right back.
3: Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. We were just talking about this earlier this hour, but for more on China's latest crackdown on tech, let's get to our Eunice Yun live in Beijing now with the details. Hey, Eunice.
4: Hey, Leslie. Well, China has summoned 11 ride-hailing companies, including Didi, to uh, have a discussion about rectifying unfair practices and change them by the end of this year. Uh, The transport ministry, along with other regulators, uh, said that the companies need to improve worker conditions. As well as pricing for drivers and address unhealthy competition and disturbing market order. Now, this directive comes as companies generally have been scrambling to try to adhere to Beijing's new guidelines. Uh, For example, tonight, Alibaba confirmed to us that uh, a a local media report that they are going to invest 100 billion renminbi, so this is about $15.5 billion uh, by 2025 to support. Uh, President Xi Jinping's common prosperity goal. Now, a lot of that money is going to go to support SMEs as well as farming. Also, Weibo had said that it's started shutting down accounts that have been giving stock tips to their millions of followers um, in line with new rules to silence uh, accounts that, quote, bad the Chinese financial markets, as well as economic policies. Uh, This also comes as China Today said that it's going to crack down even harder on show business, especially celebrities, if they find out that they've been evading taxes. And then finally, of course, the backdrop of all of this has also been that a lot of companies have been very restricted in uh, looking for a place to IPO. And now President Xi Jinping tonight had, um, uh, well, the state media was uh, reporting um, a speech that he made vowing to strengthen China's stock exchanges. In fact, uh, not only, he said, is he going to deepen uh, reforms for the new third board, which is a board that is generally for some SMEs and smaller companies, he's also going to set up a Beijing stock exchange. So this Beijing stock exchange, according to the stock market regulator, um, is going to make Beijing a center for innovative SMEs. So there hasn't been a whole lot of detail, but the stock market regulator, uh, David, says that it's very excited to fully implement uh, uh, President Xi's orders.
2: Very excited. Okay. Uh, Eunice, as always, very much appreciated. Thank you, Eunice Yoon, uh, in <laughs> Beijing for us. Let's give you another look at the S&P 500, which has hit another record high. We've got to have a lot more squawk on the street for you straight ahead. Viacom CBS Paramount Studio delaying a pair of Tom Cruise films amidst concern about the Delta variant outbreak. The release date for Top Gun Maverick has been moved from November 19th to May 27th, 2022. Now, that was the date that Mission Impossible 7 was set to debut. That film now released next year on September 30th. I have to wait more than a year for my next Mission Impossible. we've already waited. Tom Cruise, do those incredible
1: stunts. We've already waited 35 years for the next Top Gun. So, I mean, another eight months.
2: months—you It's not going to hurt. No. But, uh, but
3: that's if it comes out in eight months. What if they delay it again? They, well, it again. they
2: have been pushing this. It's yeah. something, actually, I did ask Bob Backish about, uh, the CEO, of course, of Viacom, when he joined us back on August 5th after the company's earnings, in terms of just the changing release dates and the, the way, frankly, all of the distribution of, of movies uh, is changing. Here's what he had to say.
5: We're all living in this COVID world, and so we are looking title by title on what we should do, considering really all the constituents involved. So you will see us continue to have a variety of release strategies uh, in this COVID time, um, but in general, we do like the 45-day fast-follow model.
2: 45 days, you get it uh, first, and then it's on either Paramount Plus or another, uh, uh, another direct-to-consumer platform. Viacom shares, by the way, are up. Not that much. Love that Tom Cruise. (laughs) Totally. All right, yeah, he seems to really want his his movies in theaters, for sure. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
0: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.